From the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. Welcome to Update One. I'm Mike Hempen, a co-chair of the Broadcast Podcast Committee at the National Press Club. And my guest today is Jessica Garit, the Press Freedom Editor at Voice of America. She's also a member of the National Press Club and a member of the club's Press Freedom Committee. And Jessica, welcome to Update One. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's good to be here. The Israel-Hamas war obviously has been going on since October 7th. That's what we'll be talking about today, why this war has been so deadly for journalists. I know the International Federation of Journalists says there's no conflict that compares in terms of number of deaths. And I know early on, there was an average, unfortunately, of one journalist death a day. First of all, how deadly has this war been for the last four plus months now? It really is the most devastating conflict, particularly for journalists. And I don't, I don't want to take away from the mass civilian casualties that we're seeing here. But in terms of historically journalists who cover war or who, or who wake up one day and find themselves in a war zone, there's just nothing that compares so far to what we've seen in the 100 plus days since the October 7 Hamas attack in Israel. It just doesn't compare to anything that we've seen any other conflict, even like Iraq or like Syria and the civil war, where we saw large numbers of journalists being killed. This is just on a scale that we've not seen anywhere else. Is there any specific reason for that? Is it a case of the journalists perhaps being targeted? Or is this just an unusually dangerous war to cover and that anywhere they go, they're putting themselves in danger? It's a little bit of both. I think it's it's certainly a case of the logistics of this war in this tightly compacted small area where the journalists who are just up front and close to the fighting, there's just nowhere for them to go. There's nowhere for the civilians to go. There's certainly nowhere for the journalists to go. And a lot of them have bravely tried to stay in there, even as they're trying to move their families to safety and in doing so are being caught up in the airstrikes and the bombing. Some outlets like Reuters who tragically lost one of their photojournalists while he was doing a live stream in Lebanon on the Lebanese-Israeli border. The, uh, Reuters and some of the other sort of watchdog organizations like Amnesty looked into the circumstances of that killing, and they say it seems to be an apparent, deliberate targeting of that journalist. And other groups have said the same thing. They feel that the Israeli forces are targeting journalists, um, those from Al Jazeera. Uh, there have been some sort of concern about that and that this particular Reuters journalist was targeted. Now, Israel always says they don't deliberately target journalists, but early on in the war, they also told uh, some of the biggest news agencies, we can't guarantee your journalist's safety if they stay in that area. But as a journalist, like especially with what we think is, you know, what we know to be happening in this like very difficult conflict, this sort of humanitarian catastrophe that we're seeing in this region, this is when we need journalists on the ground more than ever. And this sort of large scale bombing, this like what some people would say apparent targeting of journalists, it's just making it even more impossible for the world to fully understand and to fully know the scale of what is happening right now. We have to remember that like 
there were Israeli journalists who were killed in that Hamas terror attack on October 7. I believe um, by CPJ figures, four journalists, including journalists who were covering that music festival where we saw so many killings and hostages taken. Um, an AP, former AP uh, video journalist, I believe, was one of the early victims who was working on a kibbutz and had been trying to cover what was going on. The fighting is predominantly happening in areas populated by the Palestinian uh, population. And there's an issue of media access. If you're a journalist and you want to go into Gaza, that's really difficult right now. It's really, you go in with the IDF, or if you're one of those exceptionally brave journalists like CNN's Clarissa Ward, then you go in by yourself, but you've got to go in and out really quickly. So you're kind of left with the Palestinians who have nowhere to go, the Palestinian media. And I think that's why they're absorbing so much of this sort of deadly side of the conflict. We've been talking about journalists killed, but there's also been dozens of journalists who have been injured covering this conflict as well. Yeah, I think when when I think of that, I mean, I, I there's sort of like the injury and also like the emotional trauma. And I feel like for me, that's really embodied by Wael Dadud, the um, Al Jazeera Gaza chief, who this is the journalist who was giving a live broadcast when he was informed that his close family members, his wife, his children, a grandson, had been killed in a strike, who was injured himself and his colleague killed. And then just, I think, two weeks ago, his eldest son, who had followed into his footsteps as a journalist, was killed in a strike that took out a freelancer who was also working for AFP. Um, he's finally just left the region, but that's because he needs like medical help after being injured with shrapnel. And I really feel like when I, when I tried to sort of think about what's happening to the journalists on the sort of personal level. I think of Wael a lot because I think he really exemplifies everything that's happening to a Palestinian now. You you go into journalism to try to explain what's happening to your local audience. He's, he's had ex extremely painful losses for family. He's been physically injured himself. He's tried as much as he can to report through it, but the scenes of him having to bury his eldest son just like two weeks ago, and now he's having to leave his sort of home region, I think really tells that wider story about the scale of what's happening and where this media community will go from here. How do you start rebuilding that? And how do international journalists who rely on these Palestinian journalists to be their eyes and ears on the ground in Gaza? How do you start rebuilding up those contacts again? Have you heard of any news organizations because this war has been so deadly for journalists pulling back in terms of their coverage and the number of journalists they have on the ground in Gaza and the surrounding areas? When it comes to Gaza, as far as I'm aware, there aren't a lot of international journalists who are able to get into Gaza. And that's the, I feel like this is like one of those conflicts where we really need to go back to like the ACOS principles, the culture of safety principles of responsible journalism in, in times of war and the risks that you your staff or your freelance journalists take for you. Um, I think it's been notable that a lot of the Western news outlets have defended their Palestinian journalists. Um, Israel has alleged that some journalists are sort of just producing propaganda. There was um, some movements early on when the war first started with people in the Israeli government trying to motion to have Al Jazeera which has a very strong sort of broadcasting reputation in that area, to have it shut down and accusations that it was spreading propaganda and assisting an enemy. Um, they didn't move in that way with Al Jazeera, but they did move to shut down a Lebanese um, broadcaster for the same 
issue. And I think sort of, it's like I said, it's sort of been notable that these foreign outlets are defending their Palestinian journalists and explaining, you know, that these people act as fixers, translators, help them navigate before this war started. If you work for the New York Times, if you worked for the AP or wherever and you needed to go from Israel into Gaza, your Palestinian counterpart would meet you and they would help you navigate and get to the areas that you need to do. Now, as a foreign journalist, as far as I'm aware at the moment, if you want to do that, you go in with the um, Israeli forces, the IDF. And then that brings like a trust issue for your audiences. You have to explain to them that you're only seeing what the IDF is allowing you to see. Uh, conversely, there's sort of similar issues with how Hamas operates, but um, it has been sort of very restrictive in terms of getting independent reporting out. Unfortunately, there is no end in sight to this conflict. The coverage will continue. And unless there's a change, we're going to continue hearing about journalist deaths covering this conflict. Sadly so. And if, if you think just in terms of like the context of that, the number of journalists killed so far exceeds any annual death of journalists killed globally in any year. And I think that sort of scale just fully encapsulates just how this is so different and I wish there was like a, a, a solution you know to protect the civilians but to protect the journalists but not only are we going to lose this sort of vast sort of resource of Palestinian journalists um, and in that area but it's just going to be so hard going forward to know what's happening to sort of be able to hold people accountable on on all sides in this in this conflict it's just um it's one of those times when you really, this is like when our audiences rely on us the most. And by making it, you know, with it becoming so deadly, there are going to be conversations in newsrooms about when do you draw a line under this? When do you say it's just not safe anymore to have your own people or even a freelancer sort of step outside their front door and try to just tell you physically what's happening in, in the place where they live? When this conflict is over, whenever that might be, do you see press freedom advocates taking steps in terms of trying to make war zone coverage safer or trying to provide advice to, to news organizations in terms of how to keep their journalists safer when covering future conflicts? I would think so. I feel like generally in the sort of press freedom community, times of war or times of big crisis like this generally start to spark those really important conversations that we need to have around ethics around around the trauma that our journalists go through sort of viewing these images speaking to people if you particularly on like the israeli side the stories of the hostages who have been freed are incredibly harrowing and journalists we you know we have to filter that through for our audiences after the syrian war which is really the last time when we saw some like really horrific abuses of journalists killings kidnappings you know the james foley stephen sotloff cases that did bring real change in terms of how newsrooms think about safety, how they think about trauma. Um, and I feel like this will hopefully, if there's going to be like one thing to look towards, is that we'll hopefully sort of think more about those safety and how to keep our journalists safe, how to protect them as well with, from accusations of being agents of propaganda or sharing disinformation which is some of the accusations that have happened on both sides you know um analysts in the first few weeks of the war 
who VOA spoke with said that they hadn't seen the level of disinformation spread as fast in any other conflict. Even when Russia invaded Ukraine, the level we saw around the Israel-Hamas conflict was even greater than what Russia tried to push um, with its invasion. So I feel like that sort of changed a lot of the landscape and there'll be a lot of lessons learned. Jessica, we appreciate your time today. Thanks for being the guest on Update One. Thank you. Appreciate you looking into this very important issue. Jessica Garit, the Press Freedom Editor at Voice of America, has been the guest. He's also a National Press Club member and a member of the club's Press Freedom Committee. I'm Mike Hempen. Thanks for listening to Update One. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.